0: Good to be back. Um, I was thinking about it. We were trying to figure out when the last time we were here is, and I think it was over a year ago. Normally we we come over here, it feels like about twice a year, but uh, with all the the COVID-19, everything going on, um, God canceled our plans for the spring and the summer and the fall and all that <laughs> and so uh, we're thankful just to have the opportunity to come over and see all you folks i want to start by saying thank you um just a couple weeks ago your missions committee uh sent us a wonderful gift uh to do a remodel of our girls bathroom and uh, we were having some issues with the shower there in a uh, an old shower in a trailer that was cracked through and so um i thank you for the gift to replace that and the and to redo that so that they can. Stop using ours. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and so uh, that was a huge, uh, huge blessing. So I want to say thank you to that. Let me ask you a question this morning. I'm not going to ask you how you've been. Everybody asks that, right? So yeah, how you been? I mean, oh, different, yeah. you know. Uh, how you been? Hanging in there? Yeah. Not hanging in there? Uh you know. Uh, I'm not going to ask you how you've been. It's not that I don't care, but everybody asks you that. Let me ask you this question. This is a question that God placed on my mind a couple months ago as we were going through all of this. He kept bringing this thought up to my mind. How's your thinking been? Yeah. Oh, well that's, that, well, that's a different question, you know. It's one thing to say, how have I been? Well, I've caught up on all my Netflix shows now and, you know, I'm, I've am i binge watched everything that there is to watch and, you know, that, that time has passed. Uh, you know, it, it's not, but how's your thinking been? We've had a lot of time to think, haven't we? You know, and, and not only have we had a lot of time to think during all of this COVID stuff, we've had a lot of people telling us what to think, haven't we? You know, I mean, you can't go anywhere without somebody telling you, well, this is what we should feel about this, and this is how we should deal with this. and then, so, so we've had a lot of time to think. We've had a lot of people telling us what to think. So I ask you the question this morning, how's your thinking been? Because that's really where it all starts, isn't it? So, so out of, out of the, the heart, the mouth speaketh, you know, that's, that's out of the, the soul, what we think, what we really believe, that's actually what comes out of our mouth. So it's not, hey, how you've been doing on your Facebook posts and not posting things you shouldn't post, because that's not where it starts, starts back where your thinking is. And God has continued to press this on my mind. And, and it's actually really fitting. I had no idea that this was myth, missions month. And uh, and I was I was working for the last four weeks. I've been working on a message out of the book of Ecclesiastes, and I was like, this, we're we're going to Fernley and we're looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 12. All right. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. We're going to start there and look back at Solomon's life and say, hey, listen, I've gone through all of it. Let me tell you where our thinking should be. I worked on that and worked on that and God was like, no, that's not, that's for another time. And I was like, but, but I'm really excited about Ecclesiastes because Ecclesiastes is, it's a perfect book to go through at a time like this, you know? And God's like, no, no, no. He's like, I want you to do something uh, out of Luke 15. And I was like, well, hold on, that's, I mean, that, that's a passage we all know, Luke 15. When you say Luke 15, it's, it's the prodigal son. We, we all know that. And God's like, right. He's like, I, I want you to keep on that same thought of. How has your thinking been? You know, Ecclesiastes is challenging us in our thinking about life and our thinking about things like pleasure and money and work and all of these things that Solomon goes through. But Luke 15 actually challenges our thinking specifically from the mouth of Christ. And he tells us what our thinking is, or well, what God's thinking is about a specific topic. Now, how many of you over the last seven, eight, I don't even know how many months this has been, have found that everyone in the world thinks like you? Anybody? <laughs> yeah, well, that's it. I, think, I think we found it's a good thing when we find out that people don't think like us. <laughs> we see other opinions, we see other things, and we're like, oh yeah, they have more information than I do, because if I had just made this decision when I wanted to, things would be different now. I've changed my mind. (laughs) And so what we need to do is we need to challenge our thinking, not thinking like other people think or not thinking what other people tell us to think like. But actually, our thinking needs to be challenged to think like what God thinks like. And I wonder, and and I've been challenged personally through this, how often is my default thinking mode? All right? We, We all have a default mode right? We all have something that when we sit down, our brain goes to, right? We start thinking about this, you know? Some people are really passionate about sports, you know? And it's like, all right, I sit down and the first thing I think is like, I don't know what's going on in the uh, uh, college football today, you know? And I just go back and I start thinking through all the Clemson Tigers. That's my pastor's favorite team. I don't hold it against him or anything like that. Um, but, you know, we, we, we hear about the Clemson Tigers a lot, you know, just because we're good friends with our pastor. And, and, I, and I see, you know, Facebook posts, and it's like, oh, did you guys see what Clemson decided to do this week? And it's like, okay. So I have things that like our, our thinking goes back to. One of the things I think is a universal language, you can try this anywhere, is the, the universal default setting of our thinking automatically goes back to complaining. Yeah, um, I, I heard somebody say one time that the uh, the universal conversation starter is complaining. Try try it. Go go sit in line, maybe while you're voting, or maybe while you're sitting in the DMV, and just sit next to a total stranger, right? And then just say, "Ugh," and complain about something, right? It works people will start talking to you. Oh, yeah, I know, man, and if they hadn't done this, you know. I, I'm, I was talking about football. I, I'm a Bengals fan. It's because I grew up in Cincinnati. I'm sorry. Um, and there's, normally, there's a lot to complain about with the Bengals um, because they're a horrible football team, all right, and uh, they make horrible decisions and, and all that stuff, you know, and so it's, it's pretty easy. Like anybody you find out they, they, they like football, you just sit there like, oh, well, the Bengals did it again yeah 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 instant conversation right there so so we have things that we we automatically go back to we have things that we automatically think about all right and we're thankful that not everybody thinks exactly like us but i want us to look specifically and we're going to go um it's not my normal style of of uh of presenting god's word but we're going to go straight through this passage and look at what is it that god is trying to draw our attention to that says hey do you think like me? And what do I get this out of Luke chapter 15? If you look at just the first couple verses, let, let's paint this picture like Luke is painting for us. Right? It says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. So just imagine that we're in an open courtyard here, all right, and Christ is standing there with his disciples and he's teaching. And the people that start making their way to him are the people that we would look at as the, the reprobates of society. Or the people that we look at and say like, oh, we, we actually walk on the other side of the street from them. Or, or those are the people that we, well, we know what they do. right? And as Christ is, is, is sitting there teaching, all the people that are coming and sitting and standing really close to him are the people that are of the lesser society. All right. So there, here's the setting. Christ is there. He's going to teach. These are the people who gather around to listen. But then what's the next verse? <clears throat> These guys who show up in a lot of the Gospels here. And the Pharisees and scribes. Well, who are those people? Those are the righteous people of society. Those are the people who have it all together. They look good. They look good on the outside, Christ says. He's like, hey, you guys are as pretty as a freshly washed tomb on the outside. The inside you're still full of rotten meat, right? And they're standing around, oops. (laughs) And they're standing around, they are murmuring. Again, universal conversation starter right there. Scribes and Pharisees, Well, look at who Jesus is talking to. We would never talk with them, you know? And it says here that this man, Receiveth sinners, and he eateth with them. All right, so these are really classy people here. So you have Christ, you have the immediate crowd around him, which are all the people who, they're the obvious sinners. Then you have the people who are in the back, they're the self-righteous sinners. And Christ takes this opportunity that is not unlike a lot of scenes we see today where we have people or we're challenged ourselves to look at other people and say, oh, Lord, I thank you that I am not as this man a publican, as the Pharisees have often said. Oh, Lord, thank you that I don't act like that. We've never done that, I know, you know, because we don't all have Facebook. And Christ says, you know what? I've got a great audience to tell a couple stories here. And so what Christ does is he starts to tell them a couple parables. And we know from Matthew chapter 13, Christ specifically explains, why do I speak in parables? He says, I speak in parables because those of you who are spiritual, you're going to understand it. And those of you who are not spiritual, it's going to go right over your head. But there is a spiritual truth that I want to teach to you. And there's a thinking that I want to share with you of how Christ and how God thinks in this situation. So he starts with this, verses four through seven. He tells this story. It says, What man of you, having an hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he finds it? So Christ, being the master storyteller, this is where he starts. He says, hey, let me get your attention let me tell a story, let me start with a story that each and every one of you is gonna understand. So, if you had sheep, say, let's just say you had 100 of them, just for good, good measure, right? And, and one of them disappears, and everybody standing around, the Pharisees in the back, listening would say, yes, we understand the value of property, 100 sheep, that's a good number of sheep to have. You'd be a, a fairly well-off person to have this? I see, we lose one. That's part of our value. that's part of our profit. I get that. <laughs> all right, so Christ says, understanding that situation, everybody. If you lose one, do you think it would be a natural response to leave the ninety and nine and to go find the one? What do you think everybody around is is saying? Yeah, of course. I mean, that makes sense, right? Christ is like, I know it does. This is a simple story, guys. I'm telling it simple just so you can keep up, all right? says, and then, when he's found it, what do you do? He, Yep, bring it home. You lay it on your shoulders, all right? And he rejoicing. When he comes home, he calleth his neighbors and his friends and, and saith unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found that sheep which was lost. And when you think all the Pharisees are around staying, saying, like, yes, we understand, that's what you would do. That's the natural response. Now, how many of us have sheep? Anybody? You guys have sheep sort of? They're sort of sheep? Is oh, okay. Okay. I was like, how do you have a sort of sheep? Uh, it's like a goat. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we in this culture right now, we're like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not quite with the sheep thing. Christ was using this example very clearly because it's exactly what those people would have understood. Let me tell you a little story, and maybe I have shared this before. I know it happened last November, so I do not believe we've been here since then, so I may not have shared this. I have two wonderful girls. We live on 640 acres. That's the camp property, and the camp property is divided into three sections. Like We have the main camp property, and about a mile away from that, you have a facility that most of our staff live in. Right? And then a mile away from that in a triangle is a facility we call Trailhead. That's our junior camp. And we have a number of staff that live over there. Right? So there's about a mile. It's like 0.87 miles in between each one. Right? Well, one morning, it was last November. I think it was November 3rd or something. Um, we, we woke up in the morning. My wife and I woke up, and we had hurt our children. And so we just went, bit, went about our day like normal right? So my wife, she she went to get ready. I stayed in bed for a bit, read for a bit. And she comes out of the, the bathroom. She says, hey, are the girls up? I said, yeah, they've been in and out all morning. I have no clue what those kids do early in the morning. It's not get ready. You would think that they would understand every morning, like when you wake up, just just get ready. But no, they, they wait until 10 minutes before you have to leave to, to do that. And so I was like, yeah, the girls are up. They're coming in and out of the room. I'm hearing them slamming doors, all this type of stuff. (laughs) All right, normal morning stuff. So she's like, okay, I'm going to go get them, make sure that they're heading in the right direction. So she goes over to the girls' room. She comes back. She goes, John, they're not there. I was like, okay, it's this time of year. The weather is absolutely beautiful. And so we're like, they've gone outside to play on their playset. I'll go check on them just to make sure. So I go outside, out out the back door, and I turn left, and I look at where their playset is, and it was completely empty. And and it wasn't like I expected it to be. Like I expected to see the swing swinging, you know, and the girls were like maybe just not there, kind of like that like I don't know scary horror movie moment where it's like you just see the creepy swing. <laughs> and that's that's honestly what I expected because I didn't hear them, so I was like, oh, they're off playing, they're hiding somewhere, whatever. And I look and I, was, I came back and I said, Audrey, they're not outside either. Now, where we live, we call our house the little house on the prairie. We have a 40-acre prairie around our house. It's pretty easy to see everywhere out front. And then we have some woods behind that go into where all of our neighbors live. And then there's some paths and stuff that go through the woods. And uh, we're like, we'll, we'll look in the house again. girls. Okay, this isn't funny, you know. Haha, ha, hide and seek. It's great. Okay, yeah. Okay, game's over, all right? We'll give you cookies if you come out right now. You know how you know how parenting is, <laughs> you know. And they were nowhere to be found. Okay. It was a little little bit of a tense moment. So I got out our phone and we have a group text for all of our staff and I texted out and I said, "I don't know what's going on." But when we got up this morning, our girls weren't in our house. Could you look around your house and call for them and see if they're there? All right. And instantly, <clears throat> we see neighbors coming out of their houses, coming out all around. Now, as a camp staff, because we, we're we entrusted with your kids and many other kids that come, we have protocols for this. We have, we have missing camper procedures, all right? And six hundred and forty acres, we can search all six hundred and forty acres in about fifteen minutes. Right? We instantly went into to activation mode. I mean, people are running outside, you know, in their their gym shorts and, and uh tank tops and stuff. They're coming right out and they're looking, everybody's going. We're getting texts that says, I'm headed to the lake to see or the pond to see if the girls are there. We're seeing like I mean, everybody is just moving. Last year, the Lord blessed my wife and I with a, a pair of quads, um, not like leg muscles. Um Four-wheelers, sorry. And so we take off down our designated trails and we're calling, we're trying to think where exactly where the girls be. So I go up to the cross, which is up on the top of the mountain and I'm looking down through the woods and I'm looking, is there anything here? The cross is also in the direction that the bears and mountain lions live. And I thought, okay, so maybe I'll be up there. They'll hear, we're, we're calling for them everywhere. We hear neighbors out calling for them. We're getting the text. Okay, this place is all clear. This place is all clear. And it was the most, heart-wrenching moments of our lives up to this point, all right? So I had gone out toward the north part of camp down the trail we call Sunset Trail. My wife had taken Blackberry Trail, which goes over to our junior camp. Again, it's like 0.87 miles away. It's a trail that we used to walk every morning. We take our dogs on a walk down there and do a loop. So we're, we are looking everywhere for them. And then finally, we get a text The text came in, I I sent out the first text at 7.05. We got a text that came in at 7.16, 11 minutes later. Your girls are on my front porch. From one of our neighbors that lives that .87 miles away through the woods. There was much rejoicing. There were people on our staff that were getting together that were crying. As I came back out of the woods and I got the text, I came down to the field in front of my house. I heard Audrey's quad coming from over at our junior camp. And there were staff people meeting just crying and hugging. All right. I came down and one of our girls who who does our kitty corner, she came and she just gave me a big hug. She's like, I'm so glad they're safe. I understand now what he's talking about. This is that feeling that says, I just want everybody to know we're texting. The girls are safe. All right. We, We were looking for them. They were lost. They are safe. They're brought home. They're grounded, but they are safe, you know? And uh, long story short, this was actually premeditated. They they were headed over to the other girl in the school's, their family's house. This was the goal. They were going to sneak out of our house, go to Lila's house. Again, almost a mile away, through the woods. As my wife was driving that same path, she drove right by them. They just happened to go up the hill and came back down as she was going straight on the path my wife is passing piles and piles of bear scat (laughs) and every time she sees it, she's like this is not good lord just please keep them safe please keep them safe this was the the master plan has nothing to do with the message but they were going to go get lila then they were going to sneak down to the school again another mile away they were going to hide all of their school books so that they could skip school that day (laughs) i've never been so proud in my life (laughs) all right (laughs) But well, that was the master plan. But but when I, when I think of lost sheep, I don't necessarily connect with that. But when I think of something that is super valuable to me, that has gone missing, is not in the place that it's supposed to be, I can understand why they call their neighbors and said, look at this. The sheep that was lost, it's found. Rejoice with me. As we, at eight o'clock, we started our morning meeting, our staff meeting, we all came in and everybody was like, everybody's just crying and just like, oh, we're so happy they're safe, you know? And I, I'm with, I, I get that. The idea of something that was lost is found. Come and rejoice with me. The next thing here, Christ says, we, we all agree, right? We, we rejoice over a sheep, right? Absolutely. Christ says, well, okay, verse eight. Um, oh, verse seven, sorry. I say unto you that likewise, joy shall be in heaven over one mourner that repenteth. More than over ninety and nine just persons that need no repentance. So Christ is pointing to them, he said, Hey, Pharisees in the back, are you guys listening? In heaven, there's gonna be more rejoicing over a sinner who comes to know Christ than over people who, in your own minds, you don't you don't need God. You're righteous, you're self-righteous. All right? Heaven is happy about this, these people sitting here. Next story. Christ takes it another level. Neither what woman having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently to find it. And when, he hath found, or when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, having re, uh, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the piece which was lost. So Christ says maybe you don't understand about sheep. right? Maybe you'll understand this. Now, there's a guy by the name of Ken Bailey, and he wrote a book called the The Prodigal and the Cross," uh, looking at these stories from the the eyes of a Middle Eastern peasant. right and so the 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 understanding that they would have is is that this lady, this was her dowry. This was the money that she needed in order to get married. And if she didn't have all of it, she did not qualify for she didn't have enough to pay her dowry. So this was a big deal. This wasn't like, oh, I was planning on running to McDonald's and I was going to get a number seven, but now I only have enough for a number five, right? This was like a life changing, like her, her sustenance, her life after this was going to be different. And so she comes in and she scours, she lights the candle, she sweeps everything. She looks in every little nook and every cranny of her house looking for this coin until she finds it. And then she finds it And she says, everybody that, that knew it was lost, I found it. Life can go on, right? And everybody would say, yes, we understand this. And it's almost like Christ is saying at this point when he says, in verse 10, likewise I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. Christ is like, okay, I've said this to you a couple times. This is Missions Emphasis Month. Right. Likewise, there is joy in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. Do you think God is passionate about missions? He's telling a couple of stories here. And he's like, hey, is everybody with me? We're listening, right? You guys understand. We, we're getting the point across. Now let me tell you a story. This one's a little bit more in depth. And this one is really going to hit home. And this one is really where the rubber meets the road when we're talking about things that are lost and are found. There's a certain man that has two sons. And what Christ is emphasizing here is not what most of us typically think about when we think about our Sunday school lessons about this. If we see... If we see the previous stories, what Christ is emphasizing is, hey, there is a passion about going after something that's lost, and there is much rejoicing when it is found. So who do we think the hero of this story should be? We often say it's the prodigal son, but really it's the father who is looking relentlessly for that son to return. It is the father who is lovingly providing for that son to repent and to come home. Because you know what? The story doesn't end with the prodigal son coming home. If the prodigal son was the hero of this story, that's where it would end. But you see, Christ has so much more in us for this. So let's go here. Uh, verse number 12. <laughs> and we'll, we'll kind of uh, speak through some of these. And it says, "And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he, that's the father, divided unto him his living. Now, we've all heard this before, but basically what this son is coming to his father and saying, Dad, listen, I know the law. I know that you're rich. Right? And when you die, I'm going to get a third of everything that you have. right? Because of the way it's set up, the older son would get two thirds, he would get one third. And he says, Dad... I just kind of wish you were dead now so I could just have the money. All right? And can we just, I mean, I'm not going to kill you, but can we make that happen? I, I'm kind of, in, in essence, what he is telling his father, I don't want to be your son anymore. Just give me some stuff so that I can make a life on my own. Them's fighting words. All right? In In—in this culture, I mean, even nowadays, In this culture, the father was gracious, and he gave him, he divided to him his living. He said, you know what, son? You're breaking my heart. Here's your money. Go. But that's not the end of where we see the father. We see the prodigal. He goes off into a far country, and he wastes the money that was given to him. This was actually one of the things that made me think as I was going through the book of Ecclesiastes. The prodigal son lives the life of Ecclesiastes. He says, money, I have money. Let me me go off and I'm going to live my life. And what happens to his money? It goes away. He wastes it. He spends it and he doesn't get it back. Pleasures. You know, Solomon says that he lived like there was no pleasure under the sun that he didn't have. That's what the prodigal son was going for, you know? He was the guy who walks in, he's like, hey, everybody, I've got money and I'm buying for everybody here. Yay, you're my friend. He's the guy who's like, hey, that looks nice. I want to buy it. It's yours. And then what happens? After he spends all, he has nothing. He joins himself to a farmer of the country and he's feeding swine. Now imagine if he had these, this knowledge there at the end, like when he started. Father, listen, I've been thinking. I want to go feed some pigs with my life. I want to have nothing. I want to be destitute. But before then, I want to spend it all. No. Because God doesn't give us that foreknowledge all the time. But it's actually kind of cool. If you look in the book of Ecclesiastes, he gives us a pretty good heads up. He says, "Hey, listen. I know I I'm not preaching through Ecclesiastes this morning, but Solomon gives us a good heads up. He says, "Hey, listen. Those of you who are choosing to live for stuff, let me tell you. I had stuff. And you know what? It's empty. There was no satisfaction found in it. Hey, you who are living for the fastest, nicest sports car, all right? You 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 who want a 1970 Barracuda, 440 Hemi engine. Oh, oh, oh. That's the goal of your life. You know what? I had one. It rusted. Yeah. I spent a lot of money, a lot of time on it. I didn't have one, just in case. No, I, me personally. Solomon would have had one. <laughs> Not really, but whatever the dream you're dreaming of, that I want this. Solomon's like, I had that. I probably had two. I probably gave some of them away. And it was empty. That's where the prodigal son finds himself at the end of spending all. When he had spent all, he had nothing. And then he remembered his father. Ah, the hero of the story comes back in. And we see the father, excuse me. Uh, Let's start in verse 15 again. It says this, And he went and joined himself to the citizen of that country, And he went into the fields to feed swine and he would fain have filled his belly with the husks uh, that the swine did eat and no man gave unto him. And when he had come to himself, I love that phrase, by the way, when he had come to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread to eat and to spare? And I have perished or and I perished with hunger. I will arise and go to my father And I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against thee and before thee, and I am no more worthy to be called thy son. He gave up that right. That's basically what he's admitting. I'm no longer worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came unto his father. This is where we see the father again. And when he, the father, or when he, the son, was yet afar off, sorry, His father saw him and had compassion on him. And he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Culturally, we understand it was a shame for the father to run in public. When you're an outer statesman, when you're a rich person, when you're a landowner, you don't run, all right? And so what the father was doing, according to Ken Butler, uh, Bailey, sorry, in his book, is there was a ritual. What happened? When the son left the father and he said, Dad, I wish you were dead. I just want your money. I want nothing else to do with you. So he takes his money and he leaves. That shame would have been spread throughout all of the community around him. All of the servants would have known it. All of his neighbors would have known it. And one of the things that that Bailey brings up in his book is there was a ritual. If this son ever showed his face again, the community had an opportunity to enact what is called the kazaza, which is just a really fun thing to say, but a horrible thing to happen. They basically got to beat that son within an inch of his life. And they would leave it up to the father whether he would kill him or not. Because that's basically what the son had done to the dad. And, and the father running is actually a sign, according to him, that he was trying to stop this ritual. He sees his son afar off and he says, no, that's my boy. I love him. And he had to make his way to the son before any of the servants got there, before any of the neighbors. Can you imagine if somebody had disgraced somebody that you love? Whether it's, whether it's an employee, whether it's somebody who's taking care of you, again, he was good to his servants, and he has this son who comes up and says, I wish you were dead, all right? My guess is this was carried out a lot. But one of the things here is that the father's love and passion for that son was so great that he took the shame. He took the humiliation. He humbled himself. And he rescued the son. And the son was not worthy. But you see what happens is the son, father, has compassion on him. He runs to him. He falls on his neck and he kisses him. And then the son starts speaking. Excuse me. <clears throat> Excuse me. In, it, in verse 21 it says, And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against thee and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. And the dad's like, yeah, 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 Well, whatever, shut up. Okay, servants. Bring a coat, bring a ring. This is my son. You guys remember him? He's the one who left. He's the one, he took the money. I didn't. He didn't even ask, what'd you do with the money? You know? He doesn't even let the son finish speaking because his love for him isn't based on what the son does. It isn't based on his son's like, oh, well, dad, you know, I just want to be a servant. I'm no longer, no. His love for the son was based on the lovingness of the father and the passion that the father has for his son. So let's back up just a little bit. Christ says, Hey guys, those of you who have sheep, you would understand this, right? You're going to go find the sheep. You're going to rejoice, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You, you. Those of you, if you understand this situation, you've lost a coin. You're going to be really, you're going to be really happy. You're going to rejoice over this lost coin, right? This prodigal son, he comes home, what's gonna happen? Kill him! No, 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 no. Can I just tell you? Christ is saying, there is a passionate retrieval, there is a rejoicing, and he calls his neighbors and he said, listen, this son of mine that was a sinner, he's come home, put a coat on him, give him a ring, put shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill him, and let us eat and be merry. So at this point of the story, what Christ is saying to, the, to those self-righteous people in the back who are looking and saying, hey, do you see these sinners? you know how you look down at them? Can I just tell you how God feels about them? He is passionate about sinners. He is passionate about people that have needs in their lives because he is the only one who can fulfill it. And all the self-righteous people in the back are like, "Well, I mean, okay." Like mm, Christ is like, "Remember, you'd be happy about sheep. How not? How about not one of these people? How about one of the not one of the 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 harlots or the prostitutes who comes to know Christ? Would you be happy about that?" Uh, well, I mean, um, mm, uh. And we look at the people that Christ wants to save and we have the same attitude that the Pharisees have a lot of times. We drive past the places where we're like, I can't believe people would go to that place. And Christ says, you know what? That place is filled with people that need Christ. I'm just waiting for him to turn. I'm just waiting for him to accept me, and I'm going to accept him with open arms, and I'm going to love him, and I'm going to give him a fatted calf. I don't know if that, how that really works in, in society right now, but Christ says, I am passionate about those people. But too many times, I find myself more like the Pharisees. I hear about somebody who makes a public proclamation of Christ. You know, I'm just going to use this example. But last year or sometime, a guy named Kanye West. I don't know if everybody knows who he is. You know, Jesus is king. He's made he's made an album. And and I'll tell you, my first response was, huh, we'll see. You know, because it's like, well, that's the type of guy that I look at his life. And I'm like, that's I mean, come on. Really? A Christian? Like he's going to come sit in church on Sunday. Really? You know, and Christ is like, hey, Pharisee. These are the people I came to seek and to save. These are the lost people. I'm passionate about them. Oh, okay. That makes sense. But, but too quickly, I'm like the Pharisees that look and say, well, the bigger the sinner, the harder they are to save. You know, If only they were pretty righteous like I am. If only they look good on the outside like I do. And Christ is like, I love you too. Hold on, we're going to get to you in a second. But I just want you to understand. In Missions Emphasis Month, God is a passionate heavenly father who is passionate about lost souls. And then he continues. It says, for the son, which was dead, uh, sorry, verse uh, 25. Now his elder son, was in the field. And he came and drew nigh into the house and heard this mu- this music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said unto him, thy brother is come and thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. And he, the brother, was angry. It would not go in. Therefore he came. Therefore, we see the dad again. Came his father out, and entreated him. And he, answering to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee; neither transgress I thee at any uh, at any time thy commandments. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son, not my brother, thy son was come, which hath devoured his living with harlots and hath killed for him the fa- thou hast killed for him the fatted calf and he said unto him son thou art ever with me and all that i have is thine it was me that i should make merry and be glad for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found what is god's message to us today in 2020 If I can kind of change this a little bit to meet our modern vernacular. Hey, guys, you know what it's like to be passionate about something, right? You know? I mean, the World Series is coming up. Most of us probably didn't know. Did you know the NBA Finals happened? I didn't even know that. All right? Yeah. All right? But but we know what it's like to be passionate about something. I grew up in the South. College football. Everybody, SEC, ACC, oh yeah, Final Four, or, or um, March Madness. We know what it's like to be passionate about something. If you want to know what it's like to be passionate about something, drive down the road and look at the signs in people's yards. We get it. We are what a month from an event that people are very passionate about. Christ is saying, hey, you know what it's like to be passionate, don't you? You understand. When you're like, ooh, I'm, I'm getting that oh yeah, yeah, I'm gonna invest in that because that's something I like. I actually have in my shop a Bengals pennant from the last time that they won a playoff game, all right? It was 1989, all right? All right? We, we know what it's like to look at something and say, ooh, I like that. I'm going to invest in that. I'm going to support that. So God says to us this morning, hey guys, Do you want free tickets to a ball game? Yes, I like that. Do you want to free this? Do you want to free that? Yes, I like that. God says, okay, let's get passionate about something. Let's get passionate about what God is passionate about. You know what that is? Sinners. Oh, 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 I I mean, I don't, Lord, you don't understand. COVID-19 happened and all that's out the window. Is it? Is, is it? Did it just like all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm that blindsided me. I'm so sorry. <laughs> my bad. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> oh, wait, 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 God, God. <laughs> and it's almost he doesn't even let the Pharisees talk here. Like, and maybe they did at the end of this, but God ends the ends the parable with this. But can you see the par- the the Pharisees backpedaling? Oh, but but, but Lord, you you don't understand. I mean, you see this lady right here? Remember, she was taken in adultery and we brought her before you and cast her at your feet. Remember? Yeah. Yeah, remember? She's she's horrible. And God's like, I know, and I'm so passionate that she came to me and she accepted me and I'm giving her a home forever in heaven with me. But we're too self-righteous for that, aren't we? We don't look at people who have real needs and have the same passion that we do about our football team, do we? We we don't look at the things that God is passionate about and have the same passion that he does, do we? It's t- too difficult. Times are changing. Let me put this in a practical way. One of the things practically for our family it is easy to complain. Again, as we mentioned, we live in the, the uh, dictatorship of California. It's easy to say that, right? Funny, ha-ha, you know. But you know what the, the reality is? That's just another name that needs to be on our prayer list. Because you know what? Governor Newsom needs to get saved. And how much do you think heaven will rejoice? if Gavin Newsom bows his heart and puts his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's easy to look at people that we don't agree with and look at them and say, oh, they deserve judgment. And God says, but I think they deserve mercy. We need to be passionate about the right things. Certainly there are things that we need to stand up for. There are things that we need to to take our take. Take our lives and, and invest them toward. But we can't miss the eternal goal that God has put out in front of us, as that this is a world filled with sinners. Are we Pharisees? Do we we, we look and say, "Well, I get to go to church every Sunday, and I get to sing some good hymns, and I have some Christian friends. I'm good." I'm looking at all those people that are lost and saying, judgment's coming. Or do I look at them and say, Lord, please give me a heart to pray for every name that makes me angry. That they would accept Christ. I'll use the last election as an example, but one of the things that God laid on my heart right before the last election, looking at... Looking at history, how God used men like Cyrus and Darius and Nebuchadnezzar to glorify his name, I actually started praying, Lord, what if the other mainline candidate won? And What if they got saved? And what if God brought, used them to show the great change that Christ can make in a life? Well, well that, that goes against my... <clears throat> political beliefs and I get it but God's purposes are not our purposes I started with the question how's your thinking it's pretty easy to think like me but it's a lot harder to think like God will you today Christian devote yourself to being passionate about souls would we rather stand in our self-righteousness in the back of the room and look down on people that Christ is saying, are you kidding me? I am just waiting with open arms. We've been feeding that calf for months now to get it big for that time when that sinner comes back. It's Missions Emphasis Month. What is the biggest passion in your life this October? What is the thing you're most excited about? Is it a sport? Is it a truck? Is it a gun? Is it a political race? Or is it that unsaved neighbor? How is your thinking compared to God's? Let's pray.